Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt Eye Connections in New York taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about Eye Connections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. So welcome back to On the Tape, folks. So this is going to be an interesting one. Dan's going to sit down with Gene Munster, Fast Money fave, Gene Munster of Loop Venture fame. They're going to talk everything F MAGA. Probably a lot of F, a little MAGA, but it's going to be great. But we don't really have a rundown. And no rundown. No rundown, Dan. And you know why? Because Danny Moses is not here. It was Danny's- No Danny Moses and no rundown. No Danny Moses and no rundown. And listen, we like to build the show around Danny. Danny is the epicenter of On the Tape. And with him not here, that proves to be a bit problematic. Really? That's okay. We're going to figure really? this out. But by the way, for Danny's birthday, I actually did go back and watch his movie. And what I took away from it was Tom Berenger's genius. Oh, I mean, he doesn't get enough is. credit. And I got to tell you, Joe Beth Williams in her day was smoking. So, there it is. you know, I got a chance to the see it. The big chill. The big chill. That's the movie. Yeah. No, it's the big short. You know. Still that. haven't seen it. All right. Still enough. haven't seen it, people. Tough shit, Danny. But happy. How old was Danny, by the way? Uh, you 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 tweeted that he was 63. That's not cool. That's not Because cool. a lot of people actually believe what they read on the internet. I don't Danny's know. If you, do younger, you know that? Do Danny's, you know that guy? Danny's younger than I am. You know what's amazing? I'm coming in today. There's a little bit of traffic in New York City. A little bit. And somebody said, do you still? Uh, they didn't say it in a nice fashion. They said it in like an FU way. You still think the S&P is going to? 3,200. What we've said for a while here, Dan, is yes, we think the S&P 500 is headed there. But before it was going to get there, we thought it would go to 4,100. As we sit here now, you have an S&P 500 that's either side of 4,000. And that's been pretty much not a straight line higher, but a you know what? Step higher, lower from that June 15th Fed meeting low. Any Johnson who would tweet at you, who would tweet at you and say that, that, first of all, they must know you well enough if they've been watching on on Fast Money for 27 years and listening to the podcast for a year and a half. They know you're going to respond. They know you're going to get annoyed. But it's, and I call them a Johnson because they just don't get how the game is played. Things don't go 
to certain levels in straight lines. There are no straight to, lines. No, I mean, like, but that's the thing. And you know what, guy? We also reserve the right to change our minds near term. I think that, again, I'm just looking at the chart of the S&P 500. On January 2nd of this year, it ticked briefly above 4,800. You and I and Danny have been decidedly bearish for fundamental reasons. Yes. Not just for shits and giggles or anything like that. We had a very sharp decline in January. We had a little bounce in February. We made a new low in late February. We had a very sharp bounce after the Fed raised interest rates in March for the first time since 2018. And then we had a 4,600, nearly a straight line over the next two months, down to 3,800. Mm-hmm. So you kind of directionally, you're getting it right. And if you're getting it right for the right reasons – but not in a straight line. Yeah. I mean, it still works, right, guy? It is very difficult to navigate these markets. We never say with certainty anything. We have opinions. By the way, the person's name is Minnie Hex Whoa. from Minnesota, just in case anybody cares. They, they, they actually you know tweeted, peeps from Min- they actually tweeted it, Market Call and five other people. I think EY from SoFi. One of the, yeah. I, listen, I'll stand by our work without question. I'll stand by our work in terms of what we've done and on the tape, Market Call, all those things. And we don't speak with certainty about anything. What I will say is this. I still think the market is headed to 4,100. Do we see an overshoot? Maybe. But I think 3,200 is in the cards. And it's for all the reasons that we said. And since last market call, nothing's really changed except the market. And oh, by the way, now you have Ford saying they're going to lay people off. Now you have seven of the biggest NASDAQ companies laying people off. And when we start hearing from the FMAGA complex that you talked to Gene Munster about, we're really going to have a pretty clear picture of what's going on here, Dan. All right. So let's talk about this because like, let's separate the stock market from the economy. Yes. Right? And so again, when the Fed raised interest rates 75 basis points in June, I think it's really interesting. Remember that trial balloon that was floated, I think it was like June 8th or 9th, that the Fed was going to actually do 75. Fed funds had been pricing a 50 basis point increase for June, July, and September. So what did it mean? It meant that the Fed meant business Mm -hmm. about obviously Mm -hmm. battling inflation. They admitted that they were wrong. Remember that they did that apology tour? And what did the stock market do? From the time that that journal article dropped, it dropped 10% in a week. It bottomed in a couple days after that June Fed meeting, we had a rally. It wasn't great. We came back into quarter end. And now we're up about 6.5% in the S&P 500 over the last, let's call it, week and a half or so. We have that Fed meeting next week. It's near certainty they're going to do 75 basis points. And so the question now, Guy, is what is the thing that causes investors to be off sides after we've had this rally? We're about 10% off of the lows in the S&P 500. We still have a dollar index, the Dixie at 107. We have crude oil, which has come in a good bit. It's trading about 96. We have the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield at 2.9%, and we have the two-year yield at about 3.1%. Okay, So talk to me about putting those kind of major macro inputs together. What does it mean for the stock market? Well, that's unravel there. So 10-year yields today as we're taping, this is Thursday, moved 12 basis points to the downside. Much? It's, it, I mean, much? Well, I mean, we typically are now seeing 10 to 15 basis point intraday move in the 10-year like it's not a big deal. It happens to be a big deal. So what is that saying? I think effectively what it's saying is people see growth slowing and it's manifesting itself in 10-year yields. You mentioned two-year yields, which I've said for a while, are going to be sticky north of 3%. 
inverted by about 20 or so basis points. I think that can get to 50 basis points. How does it get there? I don't know. I think two and a half in the 10 year, 3% in the two year or thereabouts. How can people be off sides? Will people start believing that, oh shit, the bottom is in. We got to chase this thing, which we've done for the last decade or so. And I think that's going to be a lot of the thought around where are people wrong? How is this thing going to continue to sort of grind higher? But I think people have to take a good look and say, well, wait a second. If you believe that the Fed is going to somehow take its foot off the pedal because, to your point, commodities have come in 30 to 35%, and that 9.1% print we saw a couple weeks ago will, in fact, be the high print, people will say, well, maybe the Fed can back off. Here's what I'll say to that. 9.1% may be the high print. I won't back away from that. It probably will be. But if commodities have come off 35%, let's just do the math. If that CPI number comes off 35%-ish, you're still talking about an inflation rate north of 6%, which is still three times higher than where the Fed wants it to be. And that's with commodities selling off the way they have. Yeah. Jamie Dimon, he was quoted a couple weeks ago, right before JP Morgan reported their Q2 earnings by saying that he thinks that the Fed's inflation target of 4%, that's to the downside. They used to pray for 2% to the upside pre-pandemic. They were wishing. You know, the thing that pisses me <laughs> oh, no, no, I just getting, did it. I just me. did it. Because for years and years, literally, they want inflation. We need it. We want inflation. And I would push back and say, be careful, Dan. Yep. Be careful I what heard you it. wish for. I heard it like probably once it. a week on But Fast the Money. hubris to think they can control it oh, once they have it. That's not what I was trying to that's start That's what here. pisses me All off. Right. So the if, fact <laughs> that these geniuses think that they somehow could control something that they have no control over is what pisses me off. And we talked about this with Vinny, yeah. and we talked about it with Porter, and we talk about it with Danny all the time. That's what infuriates me. Sorry. You did it on purpose. I, I, I kind of did. You did. I think the people love it. Amanda knows. No, she gets, it's just, she gets lots of tweeted. She gets lots of because emails. Because people say, oh, you're so smart. Why don't you do it? No, I'm not suggesting I could do it, but I'm not, I don't you're have the- You're not humorless enough. Oh, that's I am not humorless enough or right, smart enough to right, be Can a I bring it back to my yeah, comment? Please, oh, sorry. So interestingly You enough, did it. So what I was saying is that Diamond was saying that he thinks that they're pretty aggressive on their downside target for inflation. Okay, so he's in your camp. He, he's in the camp of saying that it's going to be pesky and persistent at much higher levels. Now, also at higher levels of interest rates that are not turning on a dime. They are not going to go from the fastest increase mm-hmm. of, let's say, 2.5% in Fed funds probably ever and taking their foot off the pedals that relates to QE to QT, right. the way in which they have done it in such a short period of time. And all of that's going to take a while to work itself into the economy. And you just mentioned a couple of things that I think are really important. So if major corporations are starting to slow hiring- Which they or, are. Or actually cut jobs- Which we're seeing. Okay. So that's likely to accelerate. So all of a sudden now, even if inflation comes in, right, you have rates that are not going down meaningfully, you're having growth slowing, and that's what you're seeing in the 10-year. We know that Europe is going to be a bit of a problem for some time to And and quickly, we also saw the ECB raise interest rates by 50 basis points. Now, think about that. Europe is maybe in recession. It doesn't really matter. I mean, Europe has issues. Clearly, across the continent, Europe has issues. Yet, they feel it necessary, Dan, to raise interest rates. Not because they want to, because inflation's out of control there. And you think nat gas and your prices are high here? 
Look what's going on in Europe. Anyway, please continue. No, all right, so, so the last piece of the puzzle here, and, and this obviously is the thing that probably causes the Fed to pivot at some point later this year, much later this year, after the SEP meeting or something like that. And really, the pause starts with, we've done a lot of heavy lifting. Let's see how the transmission mm-hmm. is into the real economy. We now are going to be very data dependent here. But if unemployment ticks up, it's at 3.6%. Which it's, which it's going to. Right. So it's at 3.6% right now. We're seeing some of the data, the job openings. That this, like We're seeing that kind of turn the opposite way here. Then the Fed will have to, because if you throw on 4% unemployment, you know what I mean? Even David Rosenberg, who's been on our podcast, is actually coming on next week after Stop. the Fed meeting. Rosie, Rosie is coming back on. By the way, there's a GDP, I think, on that Yeah. Thursday the, or Friday, yeah, I'd have to go twenty eighth. Yeah, we could today. Please continue. So, so we're going to cover all that with him. But he's shown us some data that when you see unemployment tick up, even three tenths of a percent off of a, a multi year low or something like that, the impact in the economy can be devastating. Yeah. We're already starting to see some of these hints in subprime and a whole host of different levels as far as lending is concerned. We're starting to see defaults, pushouts, AT and T, what they had to say about bills. Okay, so all this is kind of happening in the backdrop of horrible housing data. So if housing has been a bedrock of the U.S. consumer of their kind of balance sheet, all of a sudden with mortgage rates where they are, with maybe taking out second loans and stuff because people were refinancing the hell out of them when they could and valuations were skipping up year over year. Now, if we were to see housing to come in, let's say 20, 25%, give back, I don't know, a third of the gains over mm-hmm. the last six or seven years because of the easy, we got a problem with the economy here. No question about it. And I'm going to throw this in here because that's my want to do. Yeah. Here on Thursday, you know, the market is what it is, but look at what's sort of grinding higher in a meaningful way. Don't say way. gold. Don't say No, gold. I don't want to say gold. Go to your little Google machine yeah. and type in the symbol, for example, a DHI or a oh, PHM. Okay. And it's interesting. They shouldn't be trading higher. And one of the things that I've said is, listen, I understand that, but if rates are going to come down, these are sensitive. The stocks are sensitive to rates. And you have a decent little bounce off the bottom that we made maybe a month or so ago on these home builders. That can continue as counterintuitive as that stands. With that said, Dan, I'm going to say this. You're 100% right. And in the U.S. economy, again, 73% driven by people buying shit. Yeah. People are going to start to get scared. And don't think for a minute this heat wave we have around the country – People are not going out and spending when it's 100 freaking degrees out across the country. That's going to curtail spending as well. That's interesting. I will say this, that our friend Stephen, who works with us here. Is that Stephen Rafus? That is Rafus. I got to tell you something. Uh He plays men's lacrosse. He really has got to work on his weekend. That's really – if I had a – No, I'm just saying if if I just had to critique his game. Just so you know, that would be – his right hand is his weekend. Did you know that? Yeah, I understand that. And and he thinks by going left, he's going to – Catch people off guard. So I'm going to make Maybe a bit in high school. That shit works. It ain't working in so, the PLL. So, so obviously, we wish Danny were here. Dun, 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 dun. You know, you know that song, right? Wish you were here. Oh, oh. isn't that Chicago? No, that's wishing you were here. That's Stop. Pink Floyd. Oh, yeah. Wish you were here. The fact that Pink Floyd is I, not. And, and we spent some time. I on do your wish list. Danny were here. Yeah. I, not that I don't love doing this with you. Yeah. You and I can go back and forth Ugh. for hours. We're, we're kind of sick of each other's voices at this point. I'm not sick. Of, I'm what? sick of my voice. I'm not sick of your voice. But I'll say, I do wish. Danny was here. I hope he's enjoying himself. He's probably smoking the Mary Jane somewhere. Oh, you can't do that. But it's illegal. It's legal maybe probably where he is. 
It's legal. You know country. what the funny thing is about that? It's Isn't still it? kind of taboo. My my twin brother I'm, lives in Boulder, Colorado, oh, and it's so. been legal. No, but it's been legal in Colorado for years. And I often ask the question: You could be at a backyard barbecue, right? Right. And you could have families there, little kids on the trampolines, you know, throwing the lax ball around. This and the dads are just kind of getting sloshed. You know what I mean? On Bud Lights and grilling meat and all that sort Which of stuff. Which has always been accepted. It's always been accepted. But if you now, even with it legal, if you pulled out a joint and just started ripping it right in front of the kids people or whatever would look at you, people, people would look at you cross-eyed yeah it's well having never having having never smoked a marijuana cigarette the magic dragon i i wouldn't the, i can't really say the magic oh i gotta say my friends did it in high school i was around i just never really wanted yeah. to do it but that, that's not it was popular podcast. in the late 60s when you were in high school right yeah or late 50s early 60s yeah. you know you were like a sort of discovered kind of a bit of a beatnik now we totally got no, off our, our top uh, what were we no you were saying if danny moses Oh, we're here. I, I, this going back to Rafus, actually. So I was going to say I was going to make a sports prediction. The one in four cannons in the PLL, which Rafus is a starting midfielder on, I think he's going to have a, a breakout game this season. I think it's going really? to turn the tide for the cannons. Oh, so now, not, now, listen, I'm sure. I'm going to say really two care. and two. He's going to go two and two. Two goals, week. two assists. Yeah, there you go. So in college, a breakout game is like you know six goals, three assists. It's not uncommon to see some cat. He was an All American at Syracuse. He's. T- he was up for that T. Wharton award. Or yes, he was. Can I, did I say that correctly? Yeah, yeah. So good it. for – I'm just messing with Rafus. I love Rafus. I mean, we'll get off the subject. No, but that, that was that – was, that, listen, we have no rundown. You got me all sidetracked on this Rafus stuff. I wasn't bringing his name up to talk about his lacrosse game. I was bringing it up because he mentioned something to me earlier today. He graduated college a year ago. He said a bunch of his friends who are recently graduated or graduated college in the last you know year or two, they had basically – they didn't have to pay back their student debt for a while. So think about this age group of consumer. They're new to the jobs market. They had the luxury of not paying back their student loans. They were flush with cash. They were trading in crypto and meme stocks and SPACs and this and that, whatever. I'm not saying all of them were doing it, but a lot of them were doing it. They lost money and all that. And now all of a sudden they have to start paying back their student debts. That means less cash to buy other things, to do experiences, do whatever. So I I just think that's a really important point. And let's start to track that because that might be something that we hear a whole heck of a lot more of. The point about the U.S. economy driven by the consumer, what does the consumer look like in the fall? What are we talking about with unemployment ticking higher? What are we talking about with inflation continue to be Persistent, you know, I'm not. Con- I'm not convinced that the U.S. consumer is going to be as robust as this recovery seems to indicate, and that's going to manifest itself in stocks. And we have companies talking about that, Dan. Just go across a spectrum of companies, and you're talking about now. You're starting to hear demand destruction. Yeah. So, so bringing it back to the stock market again, you and I are not wishing for a horrible economy, a weak consumer. By the way, there's a great in the Phantom of the Opera. I think the best song in that musical is a wishing you were somehow here again. If you remember, it's sort of towards the end of it. Beautiful song. I think they're on. They're by like a cemetery or something yeah. in the flood. Yeah. Uh, you don't care. Yeah, but, eyes glazing over here. By the way, I, Emma. I think it was Emma Rossum. Is that right? Is that her name? No she did a great job in the movie. Yeah. So, so what okay. I was gonna, see that's so what I was going to say. The, you can't see this, folks, but that's Dan completely dismissing. Yeah. It. What were you going to say? I, I will say this: that I, I can't do this. One of my favorite podcasts is it's the Always Sunny in Philadelphia podcast. It's a I show thought that's you liked. I thought you liked that. 
the what's I love the Pod Save America. Pod guys. Save America. Our buddy, our buddy Tommy Vitor has been. Tommy on Vitor us. listens to this. I know. By the way. He's got, shout Tom, out to Tommy. Tommy is scared shitless of the market. I shouldn't say that. No, 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 no. He's not scared. Shit. He loves the market. He he's loves a, he's trade. A bit of a junkie. He's, he's a, the way we're. I'm a bit of a political junkie. He's a, a market junkie. Well, I hope he's listened to us because I think he's done reasonably well in certain areas. He's done fat. Now we just need to do reasonably well in the areas that he covers. Is that is all I care about? So, well, <laughs> it's it. Okay, but we will. By the You know why we shouldn't historically, so we've done Fast Money. You know, I started about 28 years ago doing Fast Money, and you've done it obviously for the last 11, 12 years, maybe 13 almost. And politics never came into it. Unfortunately, politics has found its way into the market. And that started during the Trump administration, and now it's carried over. And that's just is what it is. We have to talk about it in the context of what it means for the market. You think about here Thursday, the market sold off early in the day on the headline that President Biden yeah. tested positive for COVID. It came back, but not that that is politics. But my point is, no, but policy is a very yes, you and know, the regulation. two are now intertwined, yeah. and that's not going away anytime soon. Uh, well, stick around for my conversation with Gene because he had a, a pretty good prognosis. I love Gene, by the way, about some sort of regulatory action in his space that I think it, it, you're actually, you know, you're on this camp. But bringing it back to the market here, guy, I, I just say is that like given all the macro headwinds, given all the geopolitical uncertainty, given that we still have high valuations, given that we just talked about rates versus inflation versus the potential for unemployment to tick up, housing to tick lower, all those sorts of things. You know, the S&P 500 right here down about, I don't know, 16% and the NASDAQ down about 23 or so percent. It just doesn't encapsulate. Again, I've said this a lot on this podcast. I've said it on Market Call and Fast Money. I just don't think that that's how this bear market ends. And I get it, man. There were pockets of over-exuberance, whether it be new IPOs of tech or, or SPACs or crypto, and they've crashed. They've mm-hmm. literally, literally crashed. But I don't think until we have a bit of a capitulation in the broader market, the stuff that is the widest owned sorts of things, that this bear market can be over because the the reset, the sentiment reset hasn't happened. P- people still think that the Fed has their back. When they don't, they're doing the exact opposite of the thing that they got really comfortable with over the prior 10 years of the pandemic. I think you you will see panic over the next couple of weeks. I think the panic you see will be panic to the upside because this week, Whoa. for the first time in a while, we saw a lot of people, a lot of headlines, people trying to call the bottom, trying to be the next Mark Haynes because they find that to be interesting. I mean, Mark Haynes made that call. God bless Mark Haynes. It was historic. But that's not what we're here to do. As you say all the time, nobody rings the bell at the bottom of the top, and we're not going to be those people. I happen to think that you're going to see Buy side capitulation, people throwing in a towel, holy shit, I missed it again, that fear of missing out, and that's going to manifest itself around 4,100 or so in the S&P 500. And then I think the next leg lower makes sense. Why? Because slowing growth, slowing earnings, valuations that are still too high in a lot of different places, and you talk about an S&P 500 historically traded around 17. Yeah. Again, Dan, you put a 200 or so earnings, which I think is where we're going to come out. Yeah. Talking about thirty. So can I tell you where S&P. I think this could and happen? Maybe we see the overshoot to thirty two. So, so I think the new lows in the S and P. I don't know, you know, where they bottom out. The new lows in the S and P could happen sometime in September when you have the realization of a unemployment ticking up. So mm-hmm. we get that kind of August jobs data, and then we get some other economic data as it relates to housing in that period. 
in between the next Fed meeting, that's when I think people might start to panic to the downside and we could see some new lows. I want to say one thing, and I want to get this in while Danny is not here. And this is something- And we do wish he was yeah, here. Great, yeah. great song uh, by Pink Floyd. Yeah. By the way, I have 748 songs on my playlist. Legit. And, and Pink Floyd's not one? There's not Shine one. On You Crazy Diamond yeah. is the only Pink Floyd. Uh, to me, that's the only, little the only Pink I love Pink Floyd. I saw them in 19, David Gilmore's 1987. Um, at I the saw Wall. the momentary lapse of reason. No, Danny saw him at the Wall, I think, in, in, in 90 or something. Like I, I don't, I just, it, I just never got All right, Danny, well, that's fine. Way, You're a Zep guy. Uh, we're, you know, we're Floyd no, guys. You're it, a Zep guy. Uh, and we, listen, I can love them both. Exclusive. All right, really quickly, because we've got to get out of here in a minute. So Danny and I, when you were out a couple weeks ago, we were going back and forth on gold okay gold had a really gold made a new 52 week low today i know okay guy it traded See the reversal 1680 and now it's trading at 1718 and let me tell you something See the reversal? it literally stopped almost to the penny uh-huh. of its early august 2021 lows i mean if you want to get back on this train and this is got, when this and is you got it. some moving averages i think correlate if you're looking at your i'm looking um, at my fax that machine, machine. fax that machine yeah Today will be one of those days in gold where you just have to bookmark. I say it all the time. Every once in a while, yeah. you get days you have to put those little tabs in the day. Today, I think, is going to be one of those days specifically for gold. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with crude oil, the commodity. Obviously, you had the bounce, subsequent sell-off yeah. on the back, Russian open, Nord Stream. I get it. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. We'll see. I still think there's another chapter higher in crude. I've said it for a while incorrectly now for the last couple of weeks. But gold today, I don't know what happened. Very interesting, Danny. All right, fair enough. All and right. Danny Moses is, I'm sure, somewhere right now, licking a spleef, looking at that gold chart and saying this was the day. Oh, man. Did I say that right, this by is the, the way? Day. Uh, gold looks like a- Did I rush that? Gold looks like a straight shot to 1,800. You just mentioned uh, the moving averages, the 50-day moving average. Do people say that? No, but, I, but hold on a second. Do people still say that, or is that very, like, 80s? That's very 80s. But Sorry. That's, but that's very know. you. You know, I do like, it's funny, you know, I mentioned Pink Floyd, which- I actually have a couple Peter Tosh songs, I think. Not Pink Floyd. No. And no, he's, he's not. And Bob, a couple of Bob Marley right, songs. So Amanda just texted me. She said, wrap it up. See, I don't uh, think yes. she li- I don't think she you liked what? what we were doing here today. But, well, because but let's see the producer in her, right. because so, she, she wants to bring everything back on the rails, bring it back to the market. All right. I think we've been extraordinarily positive over the last couple of weeks. I think we've outlined what we think is going to happen. I think we would continue to do that. I will say this. The VIX going down to 22 and a half, 23, which I think it where it currently is. Yeah. People will say that's bullish. I actually think that's going to be sort of bearish. I think that will bottom out around 21 and a half. That's going to be your signal as well. The HYG found a home around 73 and a half, 74. Yeah. That's been sort of moving sideways. That's a good sign. We'll see how that plays itself out. And to your point, the dollar, which had been ripping higher, has put the brakes on. So we'll see again a lot of things to talk about here. Yeah, I think, listen, I think my conversation with Gene was kind of enlightening to me because $7.5 trillion in market cap of five stocks are all going to report next week. They may all cancel themselves out. You know what I mean? But I think taking some of the data points out of there might give us a sense that maybe enterprise is about to week. We know that a lot of consumer ad-supported stuff was week prior to this. So I don't like to do a lot of things prior to earnings season. I like to kind of come out of it with a a broader thesis for some individual names and kind of work bottoms up, tops down, meet in the middle. All right, listen, guy, we got to- Hold on. I don't want to leave yet because I will say this. Enlightenment is a great song by Van Morrison. Enlightenment, the album, tremendous album. What's the sound of one hand clapping? 
flapping. There is no sound. So if you want to use another title, Enlightenment, because I think that's what we're here to do. We have to bring up Tesla because we'd be remiss if we no, only because people say, oh, when Tesla goes higher, you guys don't talk about it. As we sit here right now, Tesla's trading 810, 814, thereabouts. I will tell you, I thought Tesla would rally into earnings, and I thought you'd see an overshoot after earnings. I did not think it would get this high. I thought it would sort of fizzle out around 775 or so, and yeah. here we are, $40 higher. But I'll say this. As much as people want to champion this Tesla quarter, this Tesla quarter was not nearly as robust or as strong as the quarter we saw on April 20th. Yeah, we'll stick around. Gina and I talk about it. I thought it was a shitty quarter. All right. Well, listen, we got Danny back oh, next week. Are you talking about it with you? Yeah, we got, we got Danny back But I had to week. bring it up because I know people you did. say, oh, pff, I, asshole. Just, dude, we covered it. I lost money in it. My, my puts are going to expire. Danny's back next I'm week. Back. Danny's back. We'll a get little his older, take. a little wiser. All right. And we'll have Rosie on the Fed. We'll have Rosie on GDP. So, so stick around. For- By the way, I have to say, we gave away books. Yeah. A lot of people- Yeah. Right. We yeah. So listen, people, leave us Jason a review on any of the podcast stores. Take a screenshot of it. Send it to contact at risk reversal and, and you will get a copy of Jason Kander's book. He was our guest last yes. week. Fascinating book. Invisible Storm. People are a loving soldiers it. story of politics and, and PTSD. PTSD. Yeah. And it, you know what? You know what? By doing that, you make Amanda Diaz. It do makes do work. extra work. I mean, do she's got to put. She's got to like put stuff in a FedEx. And people package. already got them, and they were tweeting. I saw. All right, listen. I got to get out. Way, I got to go on I, TV. I, I, I got to go on the. I love Rafis. So. I'm sorry, Stephen Rafis. I love Amanda Diaz. She's doing a crack job. Nick Robertson killing Shout it out. And Danny, if you're listening, we do wish you were here. Happy birthday, buddy. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. And we're back. I'm here with Loop Ventures' Gene Munster. I think our listeners know Gene. He has been a prolific technology analyst for decades. He started Loop Ventures a few years ago. Gene and I did a really great podcast on OK Computer a few weeks ago just on his background, some of the things that he's seeing and thinking in public and private tech markets. But we really wanted to focus this week 
on the pod here on on the tape, just kind of getting in front of next week. We have basically seven and a half trillion dollars in market cap among five massive tech names. You know what they are? They're Microsoft, they're Apple, Google, Amazon, and Meta. Gene covers them all. He's covered them all either for decades or from their inception in the case of like a Meta or something. So Gene, thank you for joining us on the tape. Thank you. All right, man. You and I had a really good conversation, like I said, on OK Computer, and we just kind of went back and forth, ping-ponged it a little bit. What I really enjoyed about that conversation is that you and I have spent a lot of time together over, let's say, the last 10 years on CNBC, but really doing it in a very soundbitey sort of way, right? You're there, you're reacting, you're either responding to something that's going on in a company that's in your coverage and you're doing it real time. And I will tell you this, you and that red phone, there's nobody better at processing that stuff. You know that. Let's be frank. Yeah, there may be no red phones in use anymore. That might be a pretty small hurdle, but I appreciate the thought there. No, but your ability to just kind of react kind of quickly, you're always very prepared. You know exactly what to expect, but you also know what investors are expecting. And I think that's really important. And we're going to hit a bunch of that as we kind of think about next week's earnings. But like I said, lots of sound bites. We don't have to do that. What's it feel like when you are talking to companies, talking to investors, talking to other analysts, just the ability to kind of decompress and just chat a little bit versus the soundbite nature on TV? It's uh, pure bliss, especially it's a mutual admiration society here. Big fan of your work and your thoughts too. And so it's fun not only to catch up and this is kind of what we do all day long is talk to companies and talk to investors. And of course, it's not in sound bites. Yeah. Now the soundbite thing is interesting. I think it's a great skill set because it makes you synthesize information really quickly and kind of get to the crux of it. And so let's just say this is Thursday into the close. Tesla reported last night and you have been a steadfast bull in the story for a whole host of really big thematic reasons. And one of the things that I really appreciate a lot of your commentary and your work, whether I agree with it or not, I know that you're doing much more deep fundamental work. You haven't shied away from being critical of the story of Elon, of some of the dalliances that he has, whether it be with crypto or with Twitter. Where are you right now? You were on Fast Money with us as the news was breaking last night. The stock had originally gapped higher in the aftermarket. Then it kind of sold off and got unchanged. And here we are today. The stock is massively, I think, outperforming what a lot of people thought would have been the case, given the fact that automotive gross margin was down. If they hadn't taken the gain from the conversion of Bitcoin into fiat, there would have been negative free cash flow, but the stock's up 10%. So talk to me a little bit about what you think's going on, because I think you probably had said a week ago, you would not have been surprised if this stock sold off after such an epic quarter in Q1 and really the sentiment coming into the quarter. So I'm surprised that it's up today. I had expected that that auto gross margin number would have kind of spooked investors and especially the commentary from the CFO about the component environment in the back half of the year continuing to pressure investors. And so I am surprised to see that. And ultimately is that I think what it is, is the market is clearly looking into 2023. That seems to be the X factor here is that they're looking beyond the near term. That's my view is the market's just simply looking forward. What's your view on it? It's funny that you say that. So the market, or at least investors in this name, I've long thought, now right now it's got an 800 
billion dollar market cap. It's down from 1.2 trillion just, I don't know, three or four months ago. And there aren't too many investors in other growth stories or other big secular tech stories that are actually looking into 2023 right now. Does that make sense? Because think about it. There's a lot of great stories that you think have much better visibility than let's say Tesla does that are trading at huge discounts to themselves, to where they were trading just nine months ago. So again, this story remains massively disconnected, in my opinion, from the fundamentals in the here and now and even out into 2023. So I think I said this to you a couple of weeks ago. I've never seen a cult story in my 25 years in the business or a cult leader like Elon not have the story come unwound at some point as a bear market is working out. And I just don't think the bear market's over. So I just think that this one has legs to the down. I'm just curious, what was some of the feedback that you got from some investors just kind of responding to this up 10% move in one day? They were spooked as well. I think in the candid moments, they were equally as concerned. I think that ultimately, I think they're a little bit surprised too here. And I think this view that investors, you know, what is the scope that investors are looking at at this point? And I would suggest that Micron's results, I think what we saw with Tesla today is evidence, because I want to just quickly play us forward to 2023, the back half of the year, I believe that there is risk to the delivery numbers. You've talked about that risk there, say they're at an all-time high in production, but we're still in a pretty wonky environment. And all the enthusiasm, this is simply stuff that's out of their control. I think the investors are recognizing that it's out of their control and we're looking at 2023, At that point, we should have expanding gross margins. And Elon talked about the commodity market. He is not an economist. However, he does see what's happening with carbon and steel prices and lithium prices. Lithium went up 8x over the last year, and that's probably going to be coming down. So when you play this forward and start to think about next year, it seems to set up to be pretty favorable. One other piece that I think I understand appreciated right when the numbers came out and it's just kind of sunk into me today is this idea of how enthusiastic they were. I've been expecting that on this earnings report, most companies were going to be pretty pessimistic about the September quarter. I would say Elon was pounding the table that demand was strong and that they were going to have a strong back half of the year. And it shouldn't have been a surprise to me because ultimately is that they see their backlog. They know they have a year of pent-up demand essentially for these vehicles. So really, it's not a read, if you can follow this line of thinking here, that their optimism, Tesla's optimism about the back half of the year isn't a read for other companies because they, I think, are riding a little bit of a different wave. But to bring it together here, let me just address the cult side of this. It's something that really concerns me. I think just before Fast Money closing bell, there was a poll that was a percentage of people that thought that Tesla was going to be $1,000 by the end of the year. And as I was waiting for the poll results, I was thinking to myself, please let that number be low because I'm positive on Tesla and please let it be low because the lower it is, I think that, uh, of course, that's the psychology. And it came out like 45% of people thought it would be up to 1000 by the end of the year. And that's like a return, I don't know what it comes out to, like a 60% return towards the end of the year, which is incredible. Like a 7% return is a great return. So I still think this kind of cult mentality is going to be a big part of the stock. I don't think it's going anywhere because ultimately I think they're going to continue to grow deliveries at a rapid pace and continue to innovate around the edges, which gets people excited. And so when I play this forward, I believe that this is a $2,500 stock over the next few years. And I realize it seems disconnected from traditional valuation related to auto companies. 
So this pod is dropping on Friday. We have already had Snap's earnings. And for the most part, who gives a crap about Snap? It's a 20, what, $2 billion market cap company. Expect to do $5 billion in sales this year. But it really did set some investor antennas going up last fall into the start of this year. And even before some of these other larger competitors topped out and turned lower, I think a lot of what Snap was seeing, and I know there was a lot of stuff about Apple privacy and all that sort of stuff. So we're going to definitely keep an eye on Snap. I think that might be a good indicator for what we see next week. But let's talk about the five big ones that we're going to have here. And when you think about Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Meta, about $7.5 trillion in market cap here, let's just kind of break it down. Let's start with Apple. What are you thinking here? And what do you think expectations are? And how would you be positioned in this after such a big run? Well, they've kind of taken a little bit of the bullet from Mark Gurman and his Bloomberg reporting about some of the small tweaks. It's not big reductions in headcount, but just, I think, teasing that out, spooked investors in the stock has, of course, rebounded. And I think in general, I suspect that the June quarter is going to be very strong. I suspect that their guidance, they do give guidance. It's not formal, but they do give guidance. I suspect that that's going to be somewhat muted. And as analysts and investors start to triangulate what their guidance is, I suspect that it will be below where the street is for the September quarter. And the reason it's just a simple game theory is that I think Apple's business is doing strong, but the risk reward for them to be optimistic, given what's going on, is relatively low. And of course, Apple loves exceeding expectations. So my belief is that they are going to be cautious. I suspect that the street's going to be mixed on that. It won't be directionally negative because some investors will say they're just playing the game and kind of giving a little bit of a low bar. Kind of going back to that view of investors' minds are starting to think about the next iPhone cycle and what's going to happen in 2023. And 2023 is a tough setup relative to the Mac and iPad. Those businesses have been, of course, doing exceptionally well, 20 30%, 40% growth over the last couple of years, and they're coming up against some tough comps. And if you look at uh, how investors, that's where I think most of the mind space is going to be around, is just trying to figure out 2023 and what's going on with Mac and iPad. And most investors have that down, that business down, call it that's 25% of sales down about 6% next year. Overall, Apple revenue is supposed to be up 5%. So where I'm at, I think it's just essentially what is the length, the strength, the legs into those two products. Historically, they don't get as much attention, of course, as the iPhone, but I think they're going to get more attention because of the benefit they've had. And just to finish the thought is I believe that they're going to ultimately exceed those expectations because I think that the new Macs that they have are being well-received. And I think what's going on related to hybrid, either work or learning, is going to be more sustainable. So when you put it together, I think this just takes a step back on the earnings report and slowly moves higher. Take on valuation here 25 times this year, 24 times next. We're supposed to have mid to high single digits. Earnings growth for the next couple of years, we're supposed to see revenues probably low to mid single digits growth. And you've been all over this. This has been, I think, a pillar of your bull case for Apple for years is just the margin expansion that we're going to see over a better mix shift from a move from hardware into services. And we're seeing that. We've seen margins move up two, three percentage points over the last few years or so. So I'm just curious, how are you thinking about valuation and will services, I know that Morgan Stanley was out with a call. I'm curious what you thought about that. They see the greater percentage of services as a huge boon for the company. Do you think this is like something that continues over the next few years and really justifies a mid-25 multiple for low single digits or mid single digits earnings growth? This is going to fall into the category of seeming disconnected from the market reality right now. But I think that Apple can actually see some multiple expansion. And part of the reason is that I think that at least in the near term, near term being the next six months, I don't expect margin expansion. I 
see that at the high end of where big tech is trading in terms of a multiple. It is at the high end and it's a statement of fact. But the piece that intrigues me is, again, playing forward to 2023. What's going to be the conversation in 2023? We talked about the Mac and I'm getting to answer your question about valuation and why I think they have a chance for multiple expansion. Is in 2023, we're going to be talking about the Mac and the iPad and the tough comps and see how that does. The second negative is going to be related to what's going to happen with greater regulation, potentially some changes that they may have to make with App Store take rates, which eats into that profitable piece that you're just referring to. And then on the positive side, I am optimistic that there's going to be, there's not going to be any announcements, but I think that they will start to drip. At least they'll be reporting on them getting into more into healthcare. They've just dropped that big report. We saw what Amazon has recently done with their acquisition of OneMed. And I think that there's opportunity in healthcare, a uh, big market. Second is this auto. I keep kind of coming right up to the edge of the cliff here and talking about it, but not willing to jump in and say that they're going to do it. There's history to that. And I think that either way, whatever they ultimately end up doing in the car, whether it's something through CarPlay or through a car themselves, I think that that CarPlay isn't going to be multiple expansion. But I think if they do ultimately get into a car, I think that that would be a huge deal. And so there's still, to put it together, you have a stable business, great cash flow, and you still have these carrots out there. And investors love to have something to look forward to. And as long as they keep dangling the carrots around these big TAMs, I think the multiple can go up. Just so you know, I mean, I always kind of played the heel with Apple on Fast Money because it was a universally bullish name. Almost every analyst who would come on was bullish on it. Most investors were very bullish on it. And a lot of the people on our panel have been very bullish and rightfully so. Let's just be really clear. Okay. So I always like to try to pick out what could go wrong. But when I start thinking about like a TAM, like you're talking about, if there's analysts and investors like you who think the EV market could be this, the full self-driving market could be this, Apple is clearly in a position where they could benefit to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars, not even making a car. I'll just kind of come back to the fact that off the lows in June, Apple's rallied 20%. Now it's trading at $155 as we speak. The s and is up 10% from that same point. So I think expectations are kind of building here. And if there were to be something of a guide that is a little bit more than them just being cautious for the sake of it, then I do think that's the sort of thing that might turn the kind of tech tide here. Let me say it a slightly different way. I wasn't clear. I think that there is risk to this quarter. My sense is that their guidance is going to be conservative and usually it's all not priced in. And so, and it's held in, I mean, it's pretty simple. It's held in there exceptionally well and they probably are going to say something cautionary. So I think that risk reward, at least in this quarter, is more negative. I think that, you know, how I feel about the long term. I think the near-term setup makes it kind of hard. And I agree with you, everything you just said. All right, let's shift over to an enterprise name. Let's talk about Microsoft. So obviously, a lot of that Apple story is consumer-led. They have obviously issues as it relates to supply chain and demand issues, whether it be in China that's been locked down, Europe, that sort of thing. You know, Microsoft's kind of a different story here. And the relative, let's say, underperformance of Microsoft versus an Apple is notable. The valuations are pretty similar. The expectations for earnings and sales growth are much higher this year and next. So trading about 27 times this year, maybe a little over 25 times next, given the expected growth there, it seems pretty reasonable, especially if you're looking at Apple and you're positively predisposed for the back half of this year into 2023. Curious how you're thinking about enterprise, because I think Bill McDermott's comments to Jim Cramer, I think early last week on his show about just kind of maybe some softening enterprise demand and some of the headwinds that are starting to emerge after just a fabulous couple years for kind of SaaS-based models. Thoughts on the enterprise here? And is this something that 
it's not likely if we see some issues here, they're not likely to be one quarter issues. We're starting to see lots of layoffs at lots of different tech firms. And you remember the old thing 20 years ago, if you were a startup selling to startups, you're kind of toast here. We're seeing a lot of tech companies scale back on hiring, reduce headcount. But even at companies like Ford that just announced 8,000 job cuts, these are companies like all these industrial companies, every company, they're all using these SaaS products, right? That's the secular story. Are we likely to see a meaningful pullback in the back half of this year, maybe that lasts into 2023? I think the headwinds for the setup is more negative for Microsoft relative to other big tech. For me, it's the difficult comps, that piece to it, and a little bit of a lack of enthusiasm about areas that they can grow into. Of course, cloud is being one of their big areas of growth. But ultimately, when you put it together, it just is a somewhat uninspiring story. It's been a place of safety. It's been a place of victory with growth in the last couple of years. As far as the enterprise is concerned, I suspect we're going to see pullbacks and spinning across the board. I think the consumer is going to pull back. I think the enterprises are going to pull back. I think it's going to be a pretty consistent pullback between the two. And kind of if you look across all tech companies, they have different exposure in, in different pockets. So I would caution that this safety in enterprise, enterprise can kind of power through a recession a little bit better. I just am not a big believer. It's not that people are going to turn off their office suite, but I think just some of the incremental hiring, when you hear people losing their jobs, like you said, the supplier piece, I remember doing that exercise back in the dot-com days when you look at a company go under and then look at all their vendors and you could just kind of almost like triangulate. When you hear companies talking about cutting back and office information workers, that does have an impact. At a minimum, it takes away some of the growth. And I think that that's something that's going to have an impact on Microsoft more than the big tech companies. But is it one that you view as kind of growth at a reasonable price? Obviously, it's kind of fat multiple 27-ish times this year, 25 times next, like I said. But with double-digit expected earnings and sales growth, let's just say even if it decelerates a little bit, you're not going to see this thing trading at like 18, 19 times. No, I don't think it trades 18, 19 times, but I just think they have the setup, they have more headwinds relative to other tech. And I think that you can do better someplace else. Let's talk about Amazon here because this is one, I think at its recent lows, the stock just kind of rocketed a little bit. It had that, what was it, 20 for one split or something. I think at its recent lows last month, it was trading as low as like a 102 and a half. Here it is right now at 124 and a quarter here. That's one heck of a rally. It did rally like that off of its lows in May. And off of its lows in May, the stock was down, I think 45% or so from its July 2021 highs. Those highs came in the week that Andy Jazzy took over for Jeff Bezos. I mean, talk about uh, getting tagged with a big headline there. Thoughts here, forget valuation. You just mentioned this acquisition, a $4 billion acquisition today. Andy Jazzy is clearly going to put his own stamp on this company going forward. But what is the buy of one medical or $3.5 billion? What does it mean to you about the direction in which he wants to take this company? We own Amazon. I'm very excited, not only about the logistics piece, mostly about the logistics piece, about where commerce is at. In fact, there's still open-ended growth with that. And the piece, what we're starting to see develop around health and wellness, healthcare, I think it is encouraging. It kind of helps the multiple because you always need to have something out there for investors to get enthusiastic about to kind of keep the dream alive to keep the multiple up there. And ultimately, I think that that's one thing that they've done today with that acquisition. So I don't know where it ultimately goes. Wall Street Journal was doing some reporting today. I think it was Joanne Stern. And I liked her comment about Amazon primary, like primary care, that idea of 
and maybe that's ultimately where they want to go. I don't really see how the products fit together. I've never really understood why Prime Video is part of it. I kind of get it. You know, families want to use it, therefore. But this kind of fits into, I think, Amazon and some of the other big tech companies. The core issue that they have is growth. And that's what keeps them up at night. You have to go after large markets. And I think that I'm encouraged as an investor in Amazon, encouraged that they're starting to go there. Don't expect anything, of course, for a long time in that that segment, but they've got the resources to go after it. And I think investors are going to probably give them the benefit of the doubt because two out of three things that they touch actually works. I agree with that. I mean, I would have liked to have seen some of these names get a little bit more beaten up. I would too. I don't think this dash for trash move that we've seen over the last month, it's it's actually not that bullish to me. And we're going to talk about some of the names that I've kind of been picking at over the last month and a half or so that were down 60, 70, 80% in some instances. And these things are not going to be bottom, right? And so I suspect that you're going to see Amazon at some point in the next few months, maybe retesting those recent lows. But I just say this about like, if you think about mega cap tech, succession going back to cook for jobs. Satya obviously was the third CEO at Microsoft, Sundar at Google. I mean, these have all been really great second or third acts. And I see no reason to believe that Jazzy shouldn't be able to do the same, especially if he's able to kind of put his stamp on a few things and really leverage that experience like from turning AWS into what it is. So it seems like positively predisposed to Amazon. You're probably like me. You don't love the rally it just had. Just to reset here a little bit, Apple, very positively predisposed, but but this outperformance of late probably doesn't make it a great setup into next week's earnings, especially if the guidance is a bit worse than maybe that people expect. And then Microsoft, you definitely sound a bit lukewarm and that you're expecting maybe a bit of malaise on the enterprise and maybe the valuation is a bit rich here and maybe a couple quarters of, I don't know, banging around with lower expectations would probably set this thing up a bit better for kind of leading out for whatever you want to call the next bull run that we're in or something like that. Is that a fair assessment so far? Spot on. All right, let's do this. Let's finish off with this. So we have Alphabet, okay? And this is one, I'm just going to take a guess here. You think from a valuation standpoint, maybe this one is the most defensible, but possibly we haven't kind of seen the worst of what's likely to come in a consumer-led, let's say, if we have unemployment tick up and we really are in a recession at some point in the back half of this year that maybe leads into the next year, we see some of the trends that we saw towards ad-based models decelerate. But it's kind of got a defensible multiple. What are you most focused on with Alphabet here? And what do you think the risks are near term? And then where do you get interested in this thing? We own it. I would put in the category of just a great stable business long term. A lot of people could kind of frame that that piece in. There's not much new there. The setup here is pretty unique. It has some dynamics similar to what's going on with Meta, related to advertising, the search piece of it, obviously, if consumer spending slows that's going to have a negative impact on it. And the growth rates that the street's looking for next year are similar to what they are this year. And so the way I see this playing out is I see some softness in in the numbers in the back half of this year. And I think that the numbers next year are actually the growth rates, at least the absolute numbers might come down, but I think that the growth rates are uh, in good shape. So this kind of falls in a camp similar to Apple, well, more cautious than positive going into the print just because I think that the only card that kind of gets them out of this tight spot, at least regarding the September guide or any commentary around September, is just expectations. Like, who doesn't know that you could make that argument on a lot of companies at this point? Uh, so, but I'm taking the playbook that 80% of the time it's actually not priced in. 
So long-term, this is another great company. The fact that they're open to breaking up the company, I mean, this has been reported, the sign that they understand that there is some regulatory heat around them. Uh, they wouldn't even suggest that. And by the way, whatever that Google first gives, regulators are going to say, we want more. And what they've offered up would have an impact of, it's basically their old ad network that they're willing to give up, the old double click. And that's about 3% of revenue. So when you put it all together, I still believe this is the auction on the internet. Look how many times you touch a Google product every day and they continue to find ways to monetize those better. And they still have other bets that for the most part haven't really added up anything into the valuation. So I think that the setup long-term is really good for Google. Yeah, I think there's uh, more better monetization going forward. That's a little inside joke here. All right, so just kind of looking at the estimates for next year, again, you said the absolute number might come down, but the growth might stick around here. You know, expected earnings growth of about 20% after a flat year and 18% sales growth, trading about, what, 18, 19 times, that's probably about as good as it gets or you've ever been able to kind of buy this thing on the out year, if that makes some sense. We own it. We've bought it recently, even in front of what we think is going to be a messy guide. All right. So this is the last one. And I bought a little of this in May and I'm up on it, surprisingly, but this is the meta. And this is a company that I think the only time I bought the stock in the last 10 years was to cover a short. It's just not a company that I've really enjoyed their products or feel that good about. But on a valuation basis, and you think about where the stock's trading this year, it got cut in half. There's just few companies of this size with the sort of revenue base and the margin that they have and the dominance they have, just the installed base or whatever you want to call them, the three billion monthly active users. I mean, the thing trades really cheap. I mean, it trades like the like some really bad shit's going to happen. So I'm just curious, what's your take here? I'm fully prepared to buy on another gap here. And I'm looking with like a one, two, three year time horizon, possibly. I just don't think this stock is going much below, let's call it 160 anytime soon. We own a little bit of Meta too, bought it recently and think that this is one when you're, if you're going to ask which of the big techs going to do best, I think that it's going to be Meta. Of course, they have the negative impact around advertising, just like Google does. But I think the difference here is that there is this negative pendulum that's going on. It's three different things. It's IDFA. It is related to TikTok and potential competition and the health of the advertisers and all of those. This is one where I'd say that the bad news is largely priced. And again, this isn't investment advice we're giving here, but just making predictions on how it's going to play out. And I think that the risk reward is that it goes higher. The piece that I think gets missed is something that's very obvious is just over 30% of global internet population uses a Facebook property every day. That is incredible. Second is that this idea that they're going to spend in a perpetuity around the metaverse, I think is incorrect. Zuckerberg, he's competitive and he's hinted about the time that it's going to take to build out the metaverse and monetization, five to 10 years. He's talked about potentially making changes to the pace that they're adding people. Even letting people go comes in the wake of Sheryl Sandberg leaving. And I think that that is comforting to me that he's looking at the bottom line. Last, I think uh, TikTok's going to get banned. This is not a political comment here, simply a prediction. You can make a political comment. I make them. Pendulum is going to go back to the right for the next president. And there's going to be more pressure from regulators to ban it. TikTok's banned in India. Why would it be banned is a question. Because my kids would freak the fuck out. They'll find some other place to medicate. No worries. I think the reason, it's not about like China spying on some teenager about what funny video they're watching about. What it is, is about their ability to influence and to change the algorithm to influence how we think. And I believe that social media has the power to do that. And so I think that that's the reason why ultimately I think that it does get banned. And I think that that's a plus. 
I agree with that. You know, just real quickly on OK Computer earlier this week, we had a guy named Kevin Wheel. Kevin is the president at Planet Labs. He was the head of product at Twitter for seven years prior to Planet, and he worked on senior product roles at Instagram and on DM, working for Marcus and on their digital wallet. Literally probably one of the foremost product gurus of the last 10 years. And we were talking about Zuckerberg, and just something you just said about him is really interesting. He said he was not a well-liked peacetime CEO, but let me tell you something, do not bet against this guy as a wartime CEO. And I thought that was really interesting. And so I find your confidence in their ability to turn down the spend, focus on the things that they think are going to be really important to kind of help monetize that 3 billion monthly active users, monetize WhatsApp for the first time. I'm sure they'll circle back to a digital currency once there's a better regulatory framework, right? And they'll make their own metaverse. It won't be the metaverse. Zuckerberg's not going to be the overlord of the metaverse because there won't be one metaverse, right? So, all right, Gene, before we get out of here, let's just kind of put our fast money hats on. We're going to see a whole heck of a lot of you next week on fast money as these mega cap tech earnings are coming out. Which names, we just covered five and they're all reporting, which do you think have the biggest potential for gap risk lower? You could choose one or two and which gap risk higher. And let's call it the implied move in the options market for each one of these names. Let's say give or take 5% on the next day. Not investment advice. I think Microsoft on lower, Apple on lower. And I think in order, uh, highest upside is Meta followed by Google. I kind of agree with all that. And I will tell you the names that I own. I'd love to see kind of a gap lower back to levels where they were a few weeks ago and see how they act at those levels based on the new information. Because really, if you want to come out of a bear market like this, and some of these names have crashed, let's just call it what it is. Snap has crashed. PayPal has crashed. Meta has crashed. Apple corrected in a bear market. And those are really different things. You need to see the sort of price action like you're seeing in Tesla today. I didn't think it was good news. Stock's trading very well and you have to reprocess your thoughts, you know what I mean, about how these work. So to me, I want to see how some of these good stories act on bad news. And I want to see how some of the bad, if it's just incrementally good news, a little green shoot. So that's what I find so fun about earnings. Listen, Gene, I really appreciate your time. We covered a lot of ground. Um, You are a brilliant tech prognosticator. We really appreciate you having on here. Thank you. I enjoy it tremendously and look forward to seeing you talking sound bites. All right, man. I'll see you next week. Thanks, Gene. Over and out. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, and FactSet. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.